Welcome to No Concessions, another movie podcast where we explore subgenres of film. This week's subgenre is movies by directors who took a long break, but that break should have been longer. <laughs> Perfect. We're reviewing 1992's Cool World, and after that, we'll get into the titular segment, No Concessions. But first, let's introduce our guests. We've got Charles. Yes, sir. You got a little blurb about yourself? I have been on this show before. <laughs> Perfect. And we have Charles. Uh, or Charles II, Electric Boogaloo. Okay. Right. Credit to Cocannon for that. I can't steal that. <laughs> uh, you can call me the pretender, though, because you know I can't really know which Charles you're talking to at any given time. <laughs> All right. The pretender is here with us today. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Mr. The Pretender. Happy to be here. Excellent. Uh, he's one of the dudes who, if you're on the newsletter, you'll see his stylings. He wrote a couple pieces for the newsletter already. One is um, the best TV you're not watching. Part one, I guess. Patriot. And part R. two. R.I.P. Uh, yeah, R.I.P. Patriot. That show was actually kind of tight. Yeah, the headcanon I'm trying to like get around the show now is, well, now that they've canceled it, can I rationalize some sort of way that they meant to end it at season two? Kind of, sort of. Not really, though. Oh, bummer. It died before its time was up. R.I.P. Uh, we're going to hold a Viking funeral <laughs> by burning down an Amazon delivery center. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. Uh, and the other piece he wrote is Dark. That's right. That's TV you're not watching, Dark. Mm -hmm. And both pieces are in the newsletter. One's on the website. The other should be on the website any day now. But, well. Read them. Yes. Do read them. Because there's a website with articles on it. And you should be reading the articles. Because we don't have Charles here sweating over his fucking keyboard excuse me the pretender i should say we don't have the pretender here sweating over his goddamn keyboard for no reason at all you need to read that yeah, fucking read that thing. shit i need more people than just my mom to tell me how good of a writer i am <laughs> that works that works all right so in an episode that you'll hear in the future that it has been recorded already I did something with the two guests that were on, and I think it would be good to do it with you two. I'm not going to answer the questions because I've, I've already answered them, but in the past, but it's in the future for the people <laughs> listening. So uh, the three questions are movie you want to see remade, a movie. movie you want to see a sequel to, and what movie you wish you saw on opening day. Let's start with you, Charles. The real Charles. <laughs> the real Charles. <laughs> Okay, let's start with you, The Pretender. The movie that I want to see a sequel to would be the sequel to Guy Ritchie's Rock and Rolla, which would be the real Rock and Rolla. Doing air quotes here, but <laughs> listeners obviously can't see that. <laughs> because it wasn't particularly a good movie. It was just standard boilerplate Guy Ritchie. Yeah. However, at the very end of the movie, they say the wild bunch, the guys in the movie will return in the sequel, the real rock and roller. And after that movie came out, everybody got way too famous to show up in that sequel. You might've heard of them. It's uh, Idris Elba. That's, that's one of them. Uh, Tom Hardy played a little uh, villain called some, some superhero movie. I, I don't remember exactly. Uh, I think he had a mask. You couldn't understand a word he was saying. The city will not be destroyed. <laughs> a film that I would like to see remade is Superman Returns. God damn it. I would the, like to see. Would be. Is that the Brandon Routh Brandon Routh get a chance to be in a good Superman movie. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of some weird 
jerk offy love letter to the Richard Donner films. <laughs> Let it be its own thing. A film that I would love to see get a sequel is Black Dynamite. <laughs> I loved the animated show, but I think it'd be real fun just to do more of that in live action. I think it was, it's one of those movies that is very, it's so over the top that it comes back around and works. And I think that that same creative team could pull it off again. I'd wish I, I wish I'd seen the thing. John Carpenter's the thing opening day in theaters. Like I can't that experience of that level of gratuitous of like in camera effects for horror uh, really affected me watching it in my friend's living room. <laughs> so I imagine being one of the first people to see it in a theater with the crowd of people who were also all seeing it for the first time would have been a really interesting communal terror experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a movie I want to see remade for people who know me in real life. Yeah. Probably not too many people listening to this right now. Not if you don't fucking tell them. <laughs> However, I will not ever shut the fuck up over how amazing I thought Blade Runner 2049 was because it was everything I wanted the first Blade Runner to be. And I know it sounds kind of sacrilegious, like I'm saying, oh, Citizen Kane is kind of an overrated movie. It wasn't that good to criticize Blade Runner 1, the progenitor of all things cyberpunk and realistic sci-fi. If they could just remake it with the same director who crafted Blade Runner 2, I would be so happy. And another reason that I'm talking about remaking Blade Runner is because I've got another piece coming out, a subtle plug here oh. about Blade Runner 2 in the newsletter. And it's not going to be something as vapid as, hey, this is really good. You should see this. It's <laughs> a little more analytical. Yeah, good stuff. And then a movie that I wish I saw when it came out even though it sounds kind of generic and mainstream, is Matrix 1999. I almost said Matrix. Just because it seems like it was so out there and unlike any other movie coming out during that era that it would be less about seeing the movie in theaters and more about hearing other people talk about how much their minds were blown about watching it. I saw that movie in theaters when it first came out. Did you understand it? No, I, hell no. I remember seeing it on videotape back when those were still a thing. Yeah. And oh not yeah. really understanding that the agents were not people. Like, how, how are they transforming? <laughs> are they uh, uh, X-Men or something? They're able to like use some mystique power? Nice. Nine-year-old me didn't comprehend it. <laughs> I, I don't remember much of that shit, to be honest with you. The Matrix was the first Blu-ray I ever saw. Really? My uh, family friend had he went out and bought a Blu-ray player, and he already had a really nice TV you know, sound system. A PlayStation setup. Three. Uh, no, he yeah. went. He spent a bunch of stupid money on <laughs> one of the fr man Blu-rays were stupid expensive when they came out. Yeah, and the players. That was the funniest thing about the Blu-ray player. Literally, that's not a joke. Like you could get a PS3 cheaper yeah. than you could get a Blu-ray player. Like you're paying four hundred dollars for this thing that can play one format of discs. The early ones couldn't play DVDs either. Oh, gross. I, I also remember back during that time, the military were buying a bunch of PlayStation threes just for, for the their processing co power. Their compute, yeah, <laughs> the cheapest compute they could get. Not a joke. It's a real thing. God the army was damn. doing. 
That's fucking crazy. They just had a bank of PS3s and they had just, um, they just had them all running concurrently. Had them all playing Call of Duty. <laughs> VR <laughs> their training. New, for their their training program. Very nice. The, uh, the war on terror was in full swing. You had to do something. <laughs> Pull out all the stops. <laughs> We're doing Write a blank exercises. check to Sony. Give us all the Playstations. This dude's not even playing the objective. Come on, guys. Before we get into our main segment, Charles brought us a little report. Uh, I'm going to not lie to you. There were some mistakes made when we were talking about rotoscoping (laughs) (laughs) several episodes ago. So I said, Charles, uh, how about you look up some information and share it with us so we're not so fucking stupid. And I did that shit. Good shit. And I have a history. It's a little, it's, I edited it today. So it's a little for brevity because I went full on into it. So rotoscoping was invented in 1915 by Max Fleischer uh, and his brother, Dave Fleischer. Shout out to Dave, gang gang. <laughs> Max uh, was an early, an- I mean, everyone we're going to talk about is an early animator because it's fucking 1915. <laughs> uh, he was, he did some animation, but he was also really into um, like engineering. He was writing for Popular Science Monthly and his editor was talking to him about you know, some of the animation he was working on. And one of the things with animation really early on is how everything was very like jerky and static. It was like there was no fluidity really to moving from frame to frame because it was still basically flip books that you shot a light through. So he, his editor was like, we could make this better, right? He was like, we can make this better. So he and his brother decided to, so Max and Dave decided they were going to create, like find a new method for keeping uh for making animation a little more fluid their biggest obstacle was that they needed a camera cameras had literally just been invented like 60 years before (laughs) and video cameras were even still a little difficult to get their hands on they ended up using a crank projector um to get the just to kind of get the idea started he had the idea of taking film and frame by frame placing it onto a like a board that you could then use as direct reference base to trace over and you can add whatever you wanted, but you had live action for like an actual still image. And then you would just composite them together when you were pl- when you were running it. So it takes them a year to figure this shit out. They're like literally just tinkering, trying to figure out a way to reliably have it move at the right rate. And then also film runs at 12 frames per second or it did it did at the time that's like the minimum for our eyes perceiving uh fluid motion and uh, 12 frames per second is fine when it's just a dude moving but when you have to draw 12 frames you have to draw 12 images for every second of film it gets pretty tedious so their first attempt takes about a year to doing it literally in their in max's living room while also working their day jobs every day so they would work their day job Go back to Max's house and then draw out a couple seconds of film. Just stay up until like four in the morning, adjusting them, you know, adjusting the machine, making sure it can do what they need to, literally hand cranking it to keep the light going. And after about a year, they have one minute of film. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, this works. It was like proof of concept, but this is not practical. We got to refine this. So Max takes a little bit more time after he's got. The process like hammered out. He submits the patent 
in on December 6th, 1915, and gets to work, is awarded the pat- a patent a month later, and gets to work refining the process. He gets to the point where he can now do 100 feet of film in about a month. And How many minutes of the, is that? So I didn't do that math. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I guess it would depend on what type of film it is. If it's 35 millimeter film, that means it's a box that's 35 millimeters, but there's also space between the frames. So it's difficult to say how many frames that is. <sighs> Damn imperial units. <laughs> if only the U.S. was using metric, we'd know how many millimeters fit into 100 feet. But I think that secret's been lost to time. <laughs> Are we the only country that uses imperial uh, there's I, one other country i think england actually uses it for some distance that's if i'm wrong make garbage. sure you delete that part <laughs> i want you to be very liberal with the use of the uh, cut button for me <laughs> well i think it's 22 millimeters per inch so it's 2500 images Rough. frames 2500 frames roughly 2500 oh i actually wrote that down later in the paragraph oh so ah. nice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so it's roughly 2500 individual drawings that's can that he can at this point pump out every month um and that's working by himself in his living room with a simple version of the machine by the time he gets to the point where he's producing, which actually does, it actually takes a little bit to get started. Uh, he gets hired by a man named J.R. Bray, who was kind of, he was an animation pioneer in his own right. He produced the first uh, full color uh, animated, animated short um, a few years after he hired uh, Max Fleischer to do, uh, to do animation. But they weren't able to actually use rotoscoping for a couple years because World War I happened and Max was sent uh, he was contracted by the military to basically make do illustrations for propaganda shit. But when World War One ended, he was able to start actually, actually implementing the rotoscoping technology. Was that the World War One equivalent of military compute power? Effectively, <laughs> <It's> just <laughs> that's that's a lot of uh, people who are in illustration who got famous later. Uh, worked for the military during either the first or second world war. Shout out Stanley. Yep. So increase that military budget. (laughs) Yeah. I love that the fucking military has a cartoon budget. It's like a thing (laughs) and has been for a century. So the series that Max Fleischer got, you know, that put the rotoscope technique on the map was the out of the inkwell series. It was a handful of shorts where he would, you would, it would be film of, Max drawing a clown directly, you know, from an inkwell, and then the clown would come to life and start doing stuff. And his brother Dave had previously been a clown uh, in New Jersey for whatever the fuck reason. Who knows? It was the fucking twenties. <laughs> he, he had been he had been a clown earlier, and so he was the model that Coco the clown was based off of. And these shorts took off because it was the first time anyone had seen cartoons be that fluid where they weren't just like fucking low budgeting, like the joke about low budget oh, cartoons. You know what? I'm sorry. We didn't even explain what rotoscoping is. Oh, shit. Yeah. It went right <laughs> over the technology. So rotoscoping is the use of live action footage projected onto another screen, projected onto a screen that uh, paper is put over and the illustrator draws directly over the frame 
uh, the frame of live action footage. And they do that for every frame of the footage and then they composite it later. Is there any reason they can't just draw without needing film to trace over? So they can, but it keeps the reference exact so that when you're compositing it, it fits directly over whatever you're uh, rotoscoping. If you're not illustrating the whole picture. Yeah. So that way you can do things like, you know, in the seventies we saw like with star Wars, star Wars is a good, is a good example. The lightsabers are just sticks and they went through and, um, they just added, all they did for the lightsabers was added the lighting effect. And then they also removed, they removed the middle frames where they had just the handle and then switched to the actual prop. They just added in the rotoscoping, they added the beam extending and then for the actual shot, they were rotoscoping it over or it's just, it's just animation of it extending. And then the actual use of the lightsabers is what's rotoscoped so that when they're actually, there's actually weight to it. They're actually physically coming into contact, but they add, they use rotoscoping to add the glow effect. So yeah, it just keeps you from having to draw the entire thing in order to make sure that your reference is right. Uh, by using, by drawing directly over the frame, it, make sure that everything's going to be in its exact spot. We've all seen bad compositing uh, in special effects where things aren't quite where they need to be, including in the film we're reviewing later. Oh, yes. So this wor- this led to him working on a bunch of other projects. Like he, so he was working on Betty Boop and Popeye, which were fucking huge in the 40s. Uh, he also worked on the very well done 1941 Superman cartoons. If you haven't seen them, I think they're still... They might still be on Netflix. And if not, I'm pretty sure they're on Amazon. They're very well done. Like how fluid and effective the rotoscoping style is for conveying movement works really well. Superman's a great example of it. It's also where they invented Superman's ability to fly. Because they were tired of drawing him. They didn't want to have to keep drawing him running everywhere. <laughs> so the patent expired in 1934. And then a bunch of other studios started using it, like notably Disney, you know, Snow White is rotoscoped. A lot of their princess characters are rotoscoped, Um, but also some of the more, you know, there's a lot of examples of Disney using rotoscoping as technology. They were just like, they went ham on that shit. They were real into rotoscoping as a concept. Um, And then also Ralph Bakshi, the director of Cool World and a lot of other movies, uh, was also a huge proponent of uh, rotoscoping. Fast forward to the 90s, uh, a computer scientist and animator named uh, Bob Sabiston created a computer assistant, a computer assisted process um, that it's inter- interpolated uh, rotoscoping. And basically it's just it's using the same thing, but it's using a computer assisted process to actually add. The, it's basically a filter that works one to one. It's proprietary. Only one studio has it. It was used to make um, Richard Linklater's films, uh, Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly. Uh, it was also used for a Charles Schwab series of commercials. And that's literally it. It's just been those three things. Uh, a Scanner Darkly is a terrible movie, too. Oh, there's a new Amazon show that uses that technique, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's about. Oh, yeah, it's got Saul Goodman in it. Yeah, yeah. It's about some young lady who has like a, a weird relationship with her dad or her dad dies in front of her or something like that. And she's like experiencing schizophrenia, it seems like. So most other 
examples of rotoscoping still uses the traditional style. Okay. Uh, Rotoshop is the program that Bob Sabstein invented. And because it's proprietary, only this one studio can use it. But the traditional use of rotoscoping is still used. It's just not computer assisted in the same way that Rotoshop is. That was just like a thing that was in the history that I thought was interesting. So this dude was like, we can do this, but we can make computers do it. That's and the best way to do it. it works Automate well. that shit. Works pretty well, but because it's proprietary, no one else can do it. So everyone else is still animating by hand. Hooray. That's it. That's rotoscoping in a nutshell. Don't want to take people's jobs away, though. Hooray. Thank you, Charles, for your report on rotoscoping. No that's, problem. That's the history of rotoscoping, everybody. Uh, now, when you go back and listen to that old episode where we talk about how it was invented in the 70s, <laughs> you can be like, okay, they know it's not. Don't fucking at me. Uh, <laughs> Uh, thank you, Charles. And after we get back from this short break, uh, we'll get into the review of Cool World from 1992. It's Denzel. I just wanted to remind you that we've got a website, noconcessions.net. There, you'll find articles from the community, as well as archives from the show, interviews, reviews, and other pieces. Noconcessions.net. Link in the show notes. We've also got a social media presence. X no concessions on Twitter and Instagram. Back to the show. And we're back. This week, we're reviewing Cool World, which was released on July 10th, 1992. It was directed by Ralph Bakshi, produced by Frank Mancuso Jr., written by Michael Grace and Mark Victor, starring Kim Bassinger, Gabriel Burn and Brad Pitt, music by Mark Isham, cinematography by John A. Alonzo, edited by Steve Merkovich, and Anna Maria Sanso. The movie has a running time of um, 102 minutes. Its budget was 30 million and it made 14.1. God damn, this movie did terribly and deserved to. Yeah, absolutely. This movie. Uh, I think this is the second movie we've watched so far that's been edited by Steve Merkovich. Hmm. I think so. I'd have to look it up. But yeah, this movie's bad um, through and through. The movie centers around uh, a cartoonist, a very horny cartoonist. Oh, Don't get me started on that. This should be called I Want to Have Sex with My Drawings, the movie. <laughs> that's that's Ralph Bakshi's whole deal, though. If you've seen, if you've seen any of his other work, Bakshi was... All about like really horned up characters. Did he? Did he do fire and not fire and ice? He did do fire and ice. Okay. Um. He did. He did the animated Lord of the Rings film from the seventies. Okay. Which was his least horny work. Did he do heavy metal? He did not do heavy metal. Um. But he did do a the first X rated cartoon oh, feature no. Fritz the Cat. Uh. Don't watch it. It's it's not just bad as like. You know, in a way that bad movies are bad. It's offensive. <laughs> oh, okay. We we don't have time to get into Fritz the Cat. All right. But, well, uh, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> cool World centers around this cartoonist played by Gabriel Byrne who wrote this comic that transcends time and space somehow. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think what's happening is that Cool World exists and he's just seeing visions of it and he thinks he invented all of it okay that makes because a lot brad more pitt sense. gets brad pitt's character gets sucked into it in 45 yes well first of all the movie has no main character 
It really doesn't. It starts with Brad Pitt. We don't even meet uh, the Jack until... Jack Deebs, 20, the cartoonist. Yeah, like 25 minutes into the film. Yeah, I want to say the main character in the movie is Hollywood. Because the she's story, the, one, who she's the any, one doing the most, but yeah. she's also the least likable character. Absolutely, she's the only one who has a goal in the movie. Yeah. So fuck is Hollywood the protagonist of this film? <laughs> I, th- I think that's the story of the movie, right? It's her wanting to be in the real world so she can fucking eat. Yeah, that's her whole jam. <laughs> that's it's so fucked up. This movie is so weird. So this movie, I guess, to summarize the story, because there's not really much of a story here. Uh, it's about a cartoon who wants to be real. She wants to be a real girl. And Jack Deebs, the cartoonist, draws things from Cool World in prison, and he's being sucked in and out of the world, uh, just kind of on a whim, it seems yeah. like. Through means never told to the audience. He just yeah. starts one day teleporting to Cool World, and can sometimes go back at will it's weird yeah it never explains it they allude to people having dreams and showing up in cool world but then separately there's a cartoon mad scientist who uses a spike of some kind to pull brad pitt into cool world in a very jarring but then shift. we never see that spike again until the end of the movie and it's never explained how it got from the scientist's hands Into to a guy world. named Vegas Vinny, who we never see. He's supposedly from Cool World, made it to the real world along with the spike, but we don't know how. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just shrugging right yeah. now because <laughs> there's no way to connect the dots of what's going on. So Hollywood's goal is to get one of so they also like they address that multiple humans have made it to and from Cool World, but never really explained how. And they also don't explain how the method of a doodle, as they're known, not tunes, because tunes is what they were called in Who Framed Roger Rabbit four years earlier. Yikes. So they're called doodles. And the only way for a doodle to become real is to have sex with a human being. Or noids, as they call them in the movie. Which is... You gotta avoid the noid. <laughs> he's gonna deliver you Domino's pizza. <laughs> and then he's gonna code or fucking sets ah fuck it was gonna be a gang joke never mind (laughs) (laughs) so she's like jack is my chance i can that dude's real horny well first you see her trying to seduce brad pitt and you can only assume through the 40 plus years he's been in cool world every time he talks to her says holly you have to stop trying to have sex with people coming to cool world (laughs) and he's he is not aged uh for whatever reason brad pitt's Brad Pitt's Frank Harris is not aging while he's in Cool World. So he's, his whole thing is like, we got to keep people from going back and forth. And okay, under no circumstances are tunes or doodles allowed to have sex with humans. Well, you skipped over an important point. He's a police officer in Cool World where the one law he has to enforce is cartoons can't have sex with people. That's literally it. That's his ha- whole job. However, we only ever see the two main character humans as the only humans in Cool World and the only cartoons they would have sex with. They're, Everyone else looks like some nightmare cartoon yeah, you like, never want to get close to. If you had, so you're, you're a cop enforcing a law that will never be broken? You're <laughs> dating, what kind of a cushy job is this? You're dating one of two 
cartoons that would be attractive to human men. <laughs> <laughs> and just for 40 years, he, him and Lonnie have just not been fucking. Just <laughs> and just wanting to all the time. It's a sad life he leads. Yep. You know what? You got to make sacrifices for the force. This is, <laughs> this is like hot fuzz. You, gotta, <laughs> you can't always get what you want, man. Sometimes you got to go to Cool World's Sanford Gloucestershire <laughs> and fucking kill, chill there and not fuck your coworkers or cartoons. So the reason, so anyway, Jack's real horny starts popping up in Cool World. Frank's like, don't fucking fuck this cartoon lady. Like, it's not, it's the one thing you're not allowed to do here. It's literally the one thing that we have a rule for. And, uh, he does. And he has been in prison to be fair. He murdered his, uh, the man who was sleeping with his wife. And he still managed to get out of prison. Yeah. Oh yeah. After only 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets out, I guess, you know, more of that cartoon logic at work. If it was a crime of passion, you usually get reduced sentence. Yeah. And if he was a, if he was a model citizen, he's also a very famous cartoonist. So he's probably got money, probably helped a little bit with his defense. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so he gets out of, he first teleports to cool world while he's in prison, gets released and starts just like jumping randomly. But, uh, he and Holly, uh, fuck. And she turns into a human woman. Uh, she's voiced by Kim Bassinger and also played in live action by Kim Bassinger, which is, so this is one of the things that really actually got me the cartoon is way hotter than she is. Yes. And it's like the uh, cartoons styled after Marilyn Monroe too. We actually see Hollywood looking at a video of Marilyn Monroe. I don't know how she got it. All right. It's a good question. How are cartoons getting access to live action film? But yeah, it's a good question. Uh, she, I was like, why didn't they just model the cartoon after Kim Basinger? Basinger. It's, an odd stylistic choice because it's like it's one of those things where you watch a movie and they say like oh these people are related but and you're like it's, sure it's like they don't look <laughs> they have the same hair color like, hence close enough <laughs> this person is cl- clearly indonesian yeah like why you can believe it suspend your disbelief in order to be more racist <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know maybe that's me being nitpicky about it but it was bad yeah when she transformed i was just like what the fuck this is what you want you wanted to just be real horny and a human so you could do what uh to have more sex and eat food because it'll feel real denzel oh my god and that didn't stop her from busting a nut yeah she's still it explodes her window doesn't it yeah yeah fancy high rise horny shitty cartoons are trying to watch but they make it you know she becomes human they go over to the real world and while they're there, she starts to like, they both, her and Jack, starts like flash into cartoons, but like not back into her cartoon form, like a different weird clown Some lady. Weird, yeah, clown looking cartoon. It would make so much more sense for her to phase back into her cartoon self. But instead it's this weird funhouse looking clown we've yeah. never seen before. Yeah. So that's happening. She's like, oh, well, we got to get to that spike. I know that it exists. The story of Vin- Vegas Vinny is real. We got to go. Turns out it is. Uh, we don't know who Vegas Vinny is, but the professor's there from the beginning of the movie. He's just around in dressed in human clothes so no one can tell he's a cartoon. She gets, she's trying to get up to the top of this hotel to get the spike. Brad Pitt jumps over to the real world. By wishing it. 
Because apparently that's all it takes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah. if you know that Cool World is a thing and you wish hard enough to get there, you can get there and vice versa. Uh, they don't really, they never really address it in an effective way that the reason he doesn't want to go back to the real world is because his mom died. Because um, that's how the film opens is he comes back from World War II. He takes his mom out on a motorcycle ride on a motorcycle he won in Italy. Some cartoon drunk, not actual cartoon, but like, you know, stereotypical drunk drivers from the in the 40s leave some weird random desert club despite living near Vegas. Her <laughs> <laughs> drunk driving. They crash into him. His mom dies. And while he's like. Like in front of paramedics and police officers get zapped into Cool World somehow when the professor is doing his experiments with the spike. I did like that he's when he goes back to the real world, he's in the same suit that he was when like including being all like fucked up and bloody from being in a motorcycle accident. That's a cool little touch. And it's the only good thing in the movie is that <laughs> single attention to detail. I will give a shout out to the crazy earthworm gym style architecture of the backdrops of Cool World. Yeah. All the buildings are all crazy and curvy looking and they have like faces and teeth yeah. implanted into them. But it's very that's good it. looking. It's strange because most of the cartoon character animation is subpar. Like you wouldn't think that it's really bad, but like the design pretty solid. Yeah. The crazy, the, the part that I have the most trouble with in this movie is spacing. Like yeah. the characters standing in space and they don't do any shading or shadowing on any Nothing. of the characters. So it's like, so where are you supposed to be relative to this frame? Like, when at the beginning Hollywood is sitting on the bed, it's and she's talking to Jack. Jack's looking. It looks like he's just looking behind her. Yeah. When he's talking. Yeah. They to don't her. do the work of like having reference for the actors on set. They, they did. Also, they did do the work of making some real life cartoon yeah, set pieces. It's though. a weird thing. They go back and forth yeah. between him between the human characters just like being around and. Like everything is a cartoon around them and this weird blocky cartoon style props that he can that it's we mostly see Brad Pitt directly interact with. But we never see the camera staged in front of it. We see like from a 45 yeah, degree angle, angle so we can these see that it's 2D fake. cartoon set pieces. <laughs> yes. And like every time he gets in his car, it turns into a cartoon <laughs> and then they drive off and they use that same shot four times. But anyway, they're in Vegas. Holly's trying to get up to the spike, and she kills Frank. But like, he gets when pushed she's, off a building. Yeah, but when she's cartooned, that detail will be very important later in the movie. Yeah, the fact that she's yes. a cartoon when it happens is going to be relevant literally ten minutes from when it happens in the movie. But so she makes it all the way up. Jack does some. We turns into a cartoon on purpose. It's like what happens in Space Jam yeah. where Michael Jordan's arms get really long. Except to make that, that this game is in the real dunk. world and not in <laughs> Looney Tune Land. But Holly gets the spike, pulls it out of the sign that it's on. And just suddenly only bad cartoons start flowing out of it and terrorizing Vegas. And it's a very weird scene where it's just 
that's where the movie lost me i was i was watching it trying to like (laughs) not be too judgmental (laughs) like there's some cool ideas here and there it's not a very good movie but as soon as she pulled the spike out of the top of the hotel and streams of the most horrid looking evil demons like on some ghostbusters shit but like no no i'm done (laughs) and she turns back into a cartoon and is but it's still like jazzed about it he's like hell yeah we're free we can just be in the real world now and uh that whole sequence is bad uh people are just randomly turning into cartoons just around vegas jack turns into an obnoxious superhero guy for yeah, no reason with a different voice yeah very very weird and like that whole sequence is it's very bad if this but, is all sounding nonsensical there's nothing that can be said you to, to give any logic to and this you movie shouldn't watch it so <laughs> yeah it's bad the movie the movie as a whole i i went in and i was just like you know what there's no way that like it looks as bad as it does like i watched the trailer i actually watched it about an hour ago i watched the movie about an hour ago and i couldn't believe what i was watching for the most part i i I was like you can distill this into like three things the dude is horny to fuck cartoons uh, he whoever wrote this didn't actually have a plan in mind. They just got directions from Ralph Bakshi. So what ha- what happened was Rock, Ralph Bakshi's Bakshi. How the fuck you say that dude's name? B he, Ralph B Ralphie B. His original script uh, was drastically changed by the, one of the producers. So the film the film got greenlit off the original script. And then between that point and the start of production, the producer had it rewritten. And so it's drastically different. It's supposed to be more of like a horror movie. Okay. Same. I think an original plot point was supposed to be Holly or a character that she eventually filled in for was supposed to be a half-human, half-cartoon child of the cartoonist Jack. And yeah. then he, she wanted to come to the real world and kill him. For abandoning her. Oh, that's tight. That sounds way cool. Real cool concept got thrown out but at that point like because this guy's producing the movie they can't do anything about it. like hey if you want this movie made we're making it like, like this and uh it happened and it's not it's just it feels like a mess like they haven't all like the cartoon gags that aren't like they're not even good gags it's just cartoons doing things and it's mostly just getting hit on the head with stuff or chasing each other around with weapons that's basically all you see and they're not related to the plot at all it's not like how in roger rabbit cartoons are like living lives like they're just doing things they just happen to be cartoons the cool world cartoons are just violent disgusting monsters yeah yeah and they constantly are ripping each other off and like for some reason there's like a few disney looking animals that live yep. there oh yeah and you then, get to see a cute little cartoon rabbit playing craps yes and then you get to see a disgusting baby yeah and like pretty close to like maybe bordering on racist cartoons yeah. uh pretty close if they were different colors it'd be a real problematic scene yeah. And those guys are like the Holly's hangout crew. And that's how you clued into Holly being just like real evil. Yeah. Real evil piece of shit. She's just some like very, very pretty woman compared to like all these other cartoons that just hangs out with like gross scammers and shit. Like they're called literally called the goons. Like they're that's She runs a nightclub or I thought she just danced there. Yeah, she just goes to this nightclub to dance and that's it. 
Well, we got to wrap up the movie, though. So, what little left there is. Jack, as a superhero, or whatever hero thing he is, manages to get the spike back in. And this causes all the cartoons to get sucked back into Cool World, and all the people who were turned into cartoons turn back into humans. And uh, Frank is fucking dead. Uh, He fell (laughs) off a building. There's like blood you know there's a pool of blood around his head like because he fell several stories and they're like we got to get him back we got to at least let Lonette see him again and they go back to cool world and he's just with this just fucking dead body oh his partner nails is a spider who only has six limbs and smokes cigars all the time holly sucked him into a pen earlier he broke back out it's not important it's bad <laughs> Yeah, that's something that actually they utilize earlier in the movie and try to make it a plot point, but and, and the pen doesn't matter at all. Yeah. yeah, Jack, the cartoonist, goes into Cool World with a pen, and all the cartoons treat it as some kind of doomsday device because oh, it's a pen; it can rewrite reality. But and they never use it. It only ever gets used once by Holly after she becomes a human to suck up Jack's or not Jack's Frank's partner's character. Yeah, nails. So. They go back to Cool World, and Lynette's like, oh, no, my boyfriend is dead. And then it's like, wait, was Holly a cartoon when she killed him? He's like, yeah, what does that matter? He's like, well, you know what happens (laughs) when... Literally one minute before the movie ends. You know what happens when a cartoon kills a person. They become a cartoon. (laughs) And in this moment, you're like, what does that mean? This was never established. Oh my Why god. Why aren't there more human-shaped cartoons? <laughs> Since oh clearly all the t- cool world cartoons are terrible. So, uh Brad Pitt his dead body morphs into a doodle that looks nothing like Brad Pitt. <laughs> like you would think considering that Holly and Lynette are just rotoscoped sexy human ladies that they would just do that with Brad Pitt's character <laughs> just and they don't. He looks real weird and uh, he's wearing gloves for some reason but uh now him and Lonette can finally fuck and that's it that the movie's over <laughs> yeah the movie was about trying to get your dick wet with a cartoon dip your pen in the ink <laughs> yeah and then, the, and then it's just fucking over like that's it you're just left with that <laughs> you have to deal with the fact he's just lost and, and then david bowie starts playing they got David Bowie to write a song for this trash heap of a movie. It's fucking nightmarish. If you look at the critical reception of it, you kind of see a lot of people saying, well, it was a little bit of an incoherent story, but the music was pretty cool. The music did not. I beg to differ. None of the music stuck with me at all. If I noticed it, it was like, this feels tonally out of place. It's uh, like... They were doing like the Art Deco fonts at the beginning. It's industrial music, kind of. Yeah, it's like, very industrial. And I was just like, dude, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what are you going for? And then it opens up with the people coming off the plane. I was like, oh, it's going to take place in 1945. And then it fast forwards to the 90s. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is why there's industrial music. This <laughs> makes a lot more sense. The 90s were a terrible time. Uh, final thoughts on the movie? It's fucking bad. Uh, it's totally all over the place. It doesn't look good. And 
it's definitely the worst movie I've watched for this show so far. Hell yeah. How about you? Don't see it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I agree with both of those sentiments. And after we get back from the break, we'll have our titular segment, No Concessions. You thought you were going to escape without being told about the Patreon? No way. Patreon.com slash no concessions. We got help bonus content, a newsletter, a Doctor Who recap show, commentary tracks, bonus reviews, all kinds of stuff. You'll love it. Sign up at Patreon.com slash no concessions. Patreon.com slash no concessions. And we're back with No Concessions, where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movies. In this case, I'm pretty sure it's all favorites all around, right? Yeah. All right, cool. So this week, uh, let's start with you, The Pretender. Uh, In keeping with the rotoscoped theme, my No Concessions movie will be 2000's Titan AE. The cartoon slash CGI movie starring Matt Damon and Bill Pullman that bankrupted the studio that made it because (laughs) nobody went out to see it. But I don't know why, because it's amazing. The earth gets blown up in the first 10 minutes in a preemptive strike by aliens for no real reason. They discover that humanity's made some sort of ship that can create planets and they feel that's a threat to them somehow. So Matt Damon's dad, because the earth is blown up when Matt Damon is a little boy, his dad flies off in this ship to go hide it rather than consolidating humanity's forces because it's a kid movie, kid logic. What are you going to expect? And it fast forwards 15 or 20 years when older Matt Damon is just working as an asteroid miner for uh, future Amazon, probably. <laughs> he looks exactly like all of uh, Don Bluth's male protagonists. Like. <laughs> and... He gets called back into action in the classic hero's journey. You see the refusal of the call and then the point of no return, so on and so on and so on. Evil is defeated by the forces of good. A new planet gets made, which he calls Planet Bob because that was the level of humor in the year 2000. You should all see it. It's better than Cool World is. Hell yeah. That's convincing case. I'm going to watch it this week. (laughs) I, I remember. I know that I saw it. That's the movie I did see in theaters opening day. You know what? No, I'm not doing The Matrix anymore. I will relive my childhood (laughs) fantasy of seeing Titan AE again. That was Don Bluth's last movie. Yeah, because Fox Animation Studios took a nosedive after it. It was uh, that and was it? Treasure Planet. Treasure Treasure Planet. Nobody else also saw. I love that one. Treasure Planet's great. Treasure Planet is a Disney film though. Yes. What's what was your, it? Uh, yeah. The Road to Camelot was another Fox movie that fucking. I didn't see that one. It had a weird two-headed dragon. It was bad. Uh, <laughs> it was also, but it was like <laughs> I think it was the Fox film that failed right before Titan A.E. did. Nice. My film that I will take no concessions on this week is Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping. <laughs> it was the Lonely Island film that came out a couple years ago. Give me a fucking break. And it's real dumb and i've seen it 20 times (laughs) (laughs) 
You've got some picks, dude. You've I got do. some picks. I when people ask me what kind of movies I like, I tell them bad ones. And, <laughs> but like apparent. Not object not objectively bad ones like fucking cool world. But movies are just like they're not they're not good. <laughs> but there's an appeal that is probably directed at me, which is why fucking nobody saw that movie. It actually got uh majorly destroyed by the movie the next movie I'm gonna do. The next movie is going to be my no concessions that you have to listen to the next episode I'm on to hear about <laughs> or just look up what other movies came out that same summer and you'll probably figure out which one that I specifically really dug. <laughs> but pop star is really funny. It's real child. It's the lonely Island. It's like that kind of humor, but for two hours, but it is also a solid parody of those like music tour documentaries. that were like real big, um, like the Justin Bieber one, I think this was, I think Taylor Swift had just done one like a year or two before. There was the one about, there was, this is it. The Michael Jackson tour one. Was it similar at all to get him to the Greek? I didn't see get him to the Greek. Oh. I don't like Russell Brand. No, that movie, that movie is more so it's less like a documentary. It's just straight comedy. Oh, so this one is like a, this is spinal tap type. Yeah. Movie. It's a mockumentary in directly parodying the Justin Bieber, whatever the fuck that his tour documentary thing was called. You say that like you're expecting us to know the name. Look, of that. somebody who's listening will know. <laughs> Shout it loud enough. Voice will carry through yeah. time and space. Shout it into it. your headphones. Oh, it was called Justin Bieber's. Ooh. Signals garb uh, garbled. Uh, you got to shout a little bit louder. We'll get it. Just keep shouting. Just keep we'll... shouting in your office, um, wherever you're at right now. Just keep shouting. It's never say never. And then there was a second one that was believed. They were both the same. Oh, shit. so the signal came in clear. See, your shouting did work. Thank you. <laughs> and enough of you yelled home. both the titles that I was able to pick it up. <laughs> yeah, dude. Good job. If you didn't see it when it came out, uh, I' not surprised. No one did. Um, but track it down give it a watch it's funny i have beef with the lonely island in that i feel like they are the next step in evolution after like malibu's most wanted fair it's basically like that kind of thing it's like mocking like it's not the same sort of like open mockery of black people that that malibu's most wanted yeah. was because like between then and now rap culture has become pop culture so it's not as if like they're do it's, yeah, it's not poking fun at this niche thing that black people do. Yeah, exactly. But it's also like the same style of humor. It's just dumb dudes being dumb. Yeah. And it's like this is horrifically unappealing to me. Hey, fair. <laughs> These are about <laughs> films that I won't take a session on. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh my pick this week <laughs> for no concessions is Riddick. The last Chronicles of Riddick movie that came out. I, I don't even think I saw. I saw the first two. Yeah, there was, was that Pitch, Pitch Black, Black, Pitch Black yeah. Chronicles, Chronicles of Riddick, Riddick, and then Riddick. Riddick. Yeah. And then there was an anime interlude between the first two. Yes, uh, <laughs> it's like Assault on Dark Athena. I think is the name of that one. I think so. Something like that, um, or maybe that was the game. That the, game the game was Escape from Butcher Bay. Okay. All right. Well, either way, Riddick is a comeback movie of sorts for the character Riddick, where basically after he takes over this like colony of like 
space necromongers yes the it's necro- been a, such a long time since i've seen that dude it's the necromongers and they believe in something called the underverse which is basically hell and through that hell gives them powers to do like crazy shit but riddick being the type of character he is rejects basically all of their teachings and in that culture one of their big things is you uh keep what you kill so riddick killed the king of their culture uh, because their king killed this girl from Pitch Black. He was in the first movie? Uh, it was a different girl. Uh, who They got a different actress to play the part. But effectively, uh, the, the story through line is in Pitch Black, they land on this planet full of horrors, unspeakable, unspeakable horrors that crawl out of the ground once a year when it gets dark or whatever and eat people, eat anything that's available to eat on the planet. And so this happens like once every 30 years or something. Right. There's three or four sons. So quick, quick side note. Uh, Chronicles of Riddick, Escape from Butcher Bay was the name of the game originally. But when it was re-released nine years later for PS3 and Xbox 360 and PC, then it was called The Chronicles of Riddick, Assault on Dark Athena. So you were both correct. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Somebody was shouting that too, so <laughs> we got that one. Thank you for whomever was yelling. We yeah, appreciate you fucking you. nerds. <laughs> so he in the first movie he escapes the planet with a young girl and a priest. I want to say in the second movie, Keith David. Yes, it was Keith David. Who was uh, also in the first one. Yes, uh, Keith David is living on some planet, and the necromongers come to take over the planet because what they're basically doing is doing like space hell imperialism. And in the director's cut of Chronicles of Riddick, there's more about Riddick's backstory or whatever, but nobody cares about that because <laughs> it's just an action movie. And so the young girl he escaped the planet with in the first movie, Pitch Black, wants to be like Riddick. She wants to be like this fucking badass assassin. So what she does is... She, like, tries to become an assassin, but during that process, she's, like, uh, in in terms of the movie, slaved out, which I'm sure means made a prostitute uh, by bounty hunters that she was going to go train with. And then she becomes a criminal, uh, and then she becomes, like, a pretty adept assassin. And then her and Riddick are traveling through space and time uh, as the necromongers are, like, taking shit over. And eventually, at the end of Chronicles of Riddick, She's killed, but Riddick kills the leader of the Necromongers, and then he becomes the leader of the Necromongers. So in Riddick, he's the king of the Necromongers, and eventually people get wise to the keep what you kill shit. And because he's not like continuing their imperialistic conquest, they're just like, fuck this dude. We're going to go fucking kill him. So they try to kill him, and they leave him, try to leave him abandoned on his home planet, Furia which wasn't actually Furia. So the story is basically he loses everything and he's just stranded on this planet and he's kind of just fucking around with like a space dog and he's like chilling out on this planet. But it really heats up because he effectively calls a um, a rescue ship. Well, he scans his face and it's bounty hunter season. And... <laughs> God damn, I'm just explaining the story. Yeah, the movie. <laughs> um, he, he's stranded on a planet. He calls bounty hunters so he can escape the planet. And he does like the typical badass like action movie thing. Two groups of bounty hunters show up. And he's like, I'm taking one of the ships. Pick which one you want to keep. And 
the movie ensues from there. It's like a fun kind of subdued action movie for the most part. It goes back to the horror roots with Pitch Black and he does like his cool assassin shit throughout the film. It's not the greatest movie in the world, but I really enjoy it because I too like bad things such as <laughs> Four Loco. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there's there's not really much to the movie. I just like that it's like a fun sci-fi yeah. romp. It's There's nothing too crazy going on in it. It's easy to follow. The action is fun. The characters are fun. The acting is bad. Well, Vin yeah. Diesel is always the best parts of those movies because yeah. he's playing maximum badass all the time. He's cranked yes. up. Yeah. Cranked up to motherfucking 11. It's great. I really enjoy it. And it came out at a time when there weren't like a ton of other options. And sci-fi as a genre still is very bad because <laughs> it's so hard to do like good CG stuff for all of that. Yeah. But they do a lot of good practical stuff in the movie as well. The 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 space dog that's in the movie I I don't really like, and the monster design largely is cg Mm -hmm. but they do do some practical stuff in there and it's really fantastic but i'd say check that out and that's it for this week's episode we're done uh you've heard you've heard things yes absolutely thank you the pretender mr charles the pretender that's right coming on the show uh thank you for having me it's been excellent. Read my stuff in the newsletter. Yes, read the newsletter. Join the newsletter. You can join the newsletter by going to patreon.com slash no concessions, and you'll be added to the newsletter, which comes out, I try, twice a month. <laughs> no guarantees twice a month. Maybe even three times a month, depending on the content that I have. It's a lot of work. You get it when you get it. Yeah. Uh, I want to say the 1st and 15th. I want to keep on that schedule. It will always be worth the wait. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. See you later.